I have uh, had this message uh, for us, my beloved Crossway Church, on my mind and, and through prayer that I look forward, of course, to getting back to Romans. But we also, uh, we never do a series like that. I, I never do a series like that to where you, you don't leave room. Only do that, and there's no exceptions whatsoever. And so today, I, I do pray that the Lord would help us as we think about the theme this morning, friends, uh, from Luke chapter 9, and particularly the very end of Luke chapter 9, as we think about discipleship and the demands of discipleship, or you could say the cost of discipleship. But the, the two Ds go together nicely. So the demands of discipleship at the very end of Luke chapter 9. And so I pray that the Lord would help us. I pray that the Lord would help me as I seek to be faithful to his word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that he would work this morning. And so let's, let's pray and ask for that. Let's pray together. We'll even take a moment of silence where you can pray to the Lord on your own before I lead us. Lord, here we have your word before us that Dave has just read. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are the Son of God, the Son of Man. We thank you for what you have done, for what you have accomplished in your perfect life, in your death, in your resurrection, in your promised return for which we await. And here we are, Lord, having heard from you last week through our brother James And now, Lord, as we've said already here at the very end of Luke chapter 9, Lord, would you open our eyes in this moment, O Lord, for those who came here this morning ready and eager to hear your word, and for those who are here not really perhaps even knowing why. Lord, let your word, your glory, your Christ Let all of these things be preeminent so that we would praise Jesus, so that we might decrease and he might increase, and we pray in his name, amen. Now, if you're physically able, would you stand with me? Okay, we've got our Bibles open to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, verse 57. Let me pick it up where Dave left off. Thank you, brother, for reading for us. This is our text, 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, uh, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Jesus is not interested in uninformed, partially devoted followers. He wants us, yes, even us here this morning, he wants us to know what is involved in following him, and he calls for wholeheartedness, complete commitment, and devotion. So I have some questions for you this morning, for, for everyone, but in these questions that I have for you, uh, boys and girls, I also have you specifically in mind. Maybe three or four questions. First one, what does it mean uh, for a person to be rude? You don't have to answer out loud. In fact, uh, just, just answer in your mind. But please engage and think about these, boys and girls, everyone. What does it mean for a person to be rude? Would it be rude if I said to someone, hey, I need you to do something for me. And then that person said, hey, great, but, but please, I need to go to a, to a family funeral first. And when I say family funeral, if you could please help me, this is actually a very close family member. If I then said to that person, no, I, I said I need you to help me with something. So, so no, you, you can't go to the family funeral. Would, would I, in that instance, be rude? Based off of how you've answered the question so far, then the question that I have for you next would be, is Jesus rude in this passage? Before you dismiss that with, with too easy of an answer, think about that question. Is Jesus, uh, for lack of a better word, is he exhibiting anything that we might think of, that we might associate with rudeness or with the word rude? Now, why would I even ask that question? Of course, because if you'll notice again, it says in verse 59 to another one, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first. The man to whom Jesus said, follow me, didn't say no, or he didn't say no way, or he didn't say, I don't believe you're God. Or he said, he said no, but, but first let me go and bury my father. And verse 60, if I could summarize it, says, Jesus said to him, No. No. It has been uh, pointed out before by many who uh, might fall under the umbrella of false teachers. They might, as you have heard, they might say something like this. Uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You say, well, wait a minute. Is that, is that really that bad? No, I don't think that statement's that bad. I, but it, it can be a way of, if you don't say anything else, but God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, that could be a way of ultimately not speaking the full truth and therefore not being loving. Here's a quote. 
Jesus never denied the more difficult aspects of discipleship. Jesus always announced them in advance. He never denied the more difficult aspects of discipleship. No, he actually always announced them in advance. This is Phil Riken. He says this, he never presented the Christian life as a life of ease, but always of sacrifice. His message was, I love you, and I have a difficult plan for your life. Now, I have had the joy of soaking in this uh, a bit this week. Can we look at this again, what, what I've just read? Uh, can we let these words wash over us one more time? At least, at least the first two instances, which is 57 through 60. Give attention to that one more time with me. Luke 59, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, of course, you can see here, the tables are turned a little bit. Jesus takes the initiative here, right? To another, he, that is Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You're taking notes this morning. The first thing that I want us to see here, the first point, I have two main headings. The first heading is actually asks for you to keep your place here and keep your place and turn to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. I don't think I'm going to be having you turn a lot at all this morning. This may be the only time. So would you do this? Of course, you can always just listen. Point number one, 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha, 1 Kings 19, 19. Now notice what it says here. I love the stories of Elijah and Elisha. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, and this is 1 Kings 19, 20 in the middle of the verse, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. See that there? And he said to him, who's the he said to him? That's, that's Elijah. Elijah said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. 
Then he, that's Elisha, arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. The first point that I have this morning, as I said, two main headings and then some reflection, some application to follow these two main headings. The first point is this. It's two words, and the words are, follow me, follow me. You know, in actuality, part of the reason that we're looking at this, and this will become even more clear in a few minutes, I just want us to to kind of briefly notice it for right now, but one of the things that we see is that the call to follow God actually is the same in what we call both the New Testament and the Old Testament, which is just to say the call to follow the Lord is the same across the canon, across the whole scriptures. So heading number one, follow me. Why do I say follow me in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21? Well, I say follow me because there is a call in, uh, in so many words here, if you noticed in these three verses, to follow me. Who says follow me here? Well, nobody explicitly says that. So you've got me on there. If, you said, if you're a boy or a girl, you say, well, it doesn't say follow me. It doesn't say follow me. But clearly here, if you read it, this is not reading into it. Elijah is here near the very end of his ministry, and he's passing the mantle He's passing the torch to his successor, to the one who would follow him as a prophet, as a conscience to the king, and Elijah is passing the torch or passing the mantle to Elisha. And so Elijah is saying, in essence, you follow me. Now, we know that he's saying, follow me, is because in verse 20, Elisha, Elisha's the new guy, right? He says in the middle of verse 20, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will what? And then I will follow you. And then uh, at the very end of verse 21, it says, then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. The word there could be, then he arose and he followed Elijah. This is one example, not just in the New Testament, not just in the Gospels, not just with Jesus, but because there is a unity in the whole Bible. The whole Bible says, be wholeheartedly devoted to God. That message doesn't change. We see an example of that here. Ultimately, of course, the call of Elisha is ultimately not to call to follow Elijah, but of course to follow God. Let me point out one quick thing before we leave this passage. One quick thing, and it's the... It's the It's the smooching thing going on here. What is that all about? He says in verse 20, hopefully you at at the very least understand the basic context here. God's prophets in Israel, who were the consciences of the king, Elijah to Elisha, he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. What does that mean? Look at verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. Do you see that in verse 18? That means that God, the one true God, will preserve for himself 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal and kissed them. The word kiss there means allegiance. It has to do with allegiance. To kiss Baal means precisely this. We will certainly not follow Yahweh, the God of Israel. We will pledge our allegiance 
even with this symbolic kiss, we pledge our allegiance to Baal. And so what Elisha is doing in verse 20, when he says, let me kiss my father and mother, in the context of this story, he is kissing them to abandon his primary allegiance to his family. It's not that family doesn't matter, but his kiss shows that his allegiance is for the one true God of Israel. His allegiance is not for Baal. His allegiance is kiss mom and dad and follow God as his primary allegiance. That's heading number one. Heading number one, follow me. Elijah and Elisha. Number two, back in Luke chapter nine. Luke 9, 57 through 62. This is the second one. This one is not Elijah and Elisha. This is Jesus and would-be disciples. Listen to me this morning. This is Jesus, the Christ, and potential followers. This also is follow me. It's really, in, in one sense, the same heading. Did you notice that this word serves as the key word here? This word follow. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Just notice this. And verse 59, to another he said, follow me. In verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Clearly, this is about uh, discipleship. The, the, the word disciple has the idea, as you, as you know, of being a learner, of being a student. And it's not just, Christianity is not just giving mental assent to certain facts. It's not just saying, I agree with that knowledge. It's also not just saying, I will do certain things and not do certain things. In other words, it's not merely about knowledge and it's not merely about morals. It is you could say in its essence about the grace of God and it is Jesus saying to us this morning, Jesus saying to you, to all of us, follow me, follow me. This 57 through 62, you need to know this paragraph. This is Jesus and would-be disciples. In the short compass of five or six verses, we get a sample of the ministry of Jesus. We get a sampling of the responses to Jesus. And the word of God pierces our hearts and searches us this morning and says all the way across the decades and across the millennia in 2021, what do you see? What do you see as you look in the mirror of this portion of God's word this morning? You know, right, that that's what the Bible is. The mirror in which we look, and if by God's grace he allows us to see clearly, we see ourselves for who we are. We see him for who he really is. Under this second heading, follow me, Jesus and would-be disciples, let's look first of all quickly at verses 57 and 58. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. First of all, what's the road that they're going along? Well, they've just been rejected in a Samaritan village, but ultimately you need to know 
that as it says they were going along the road, this is a very important part of Luke's gospel from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19 when Jesus has made a decision that he is going to set his face and to go to Jerusalem, to go to Jerusalem where he will die. So as they're going along this road, as in in verse 51 of chapter 9, a decisive moment, although we're nowhere close to being done with the end of the gospel of Luke, nevertheless, in 951, something massively important, a massively important decision has taken place. And therefore, in light of that, as it has been said, if you would have the crown, you must also have the cross. Jesus is going, and he is going to get a crown through crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, but he will not have the crown unless he first has the cross, and neither will we. He says there in verses 57 and 58, the key thing there is that this is someone who offers to follow him. You've heard something like this said before. You know, if Jesus had a PR agent, his response that he gives to the man in 58 would no doubt prompt this agent to say to him, whoa, what are you doing? What are you saying? This is not the message that we want to give. Did you hear? This guy just said of his own accord, of his own free will, of his own volition, this man, before you said anything, he said what? He said, I will follow you wherever you go. Do you know what you are saying? Do you know what you are saying? Listen to me, Crossway. Some would-be disciples don't understand the cost. Some would-be disciples don't understand the fullness of what is involved in following Jesus. It's as though in verse 58, Jesus says to him, do you know what you're saying? Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man, who's that? He's referring to himself. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Did Jesus occasionally have places to lay his head? Absolutely, he did. But as a general rule, living like us, in every way like us, except for sin, as a general rule, he had no place to lay his head. And oh, by the way, he also, as the very son of God, came from heaven to earth. Think of what the Lord Jesus Christ gave up. Man has no place to lay his head. So first of all, this man of his own accord, I will follow you wherever you go. This man represents a would-be disciple. Look in the mirror of the word. He represents a would-be disciple who had not counted the cost. Secondly, not only are there some would-be disciples who don't understand what is involved, who se- I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's not a terrible, I mean, it seems really good. It is really good. I mean, in one sense, I will follow you, verse 57. I mean, in one, just that by itself, that's great. We don't want to, at Crossway Church, we don't want to pour fire on any eight-year-old or 88-year-old. Listen to me. We don't want to pour fire on anybody who says, listen, Pastor John or Pastor James, I, I want to follow Jesus. Yes and Amen. Do you say what this man says? The only thing is we don't stop there because Jesus, John chapter two, Jesus knows what's in your heart. Jesus knows you. He knows you and he loves you and he will not let you say, sign me up when you don't understand. He wants you to understand and he wants you to be committed and you will be happy. In God, 
Some would-be disciples, number two, under this heading, do not have the true commitment to follow Jesus. You see, in 57 and 58, some don't count the cost. In 59 and 60, they don't have the full commitment to follow Jesus. Cost and commitment. Cost and commitment. 59. Look there with me. To another, he said, follow me. Now, again, just notice, Jesus is taking the initiative here. Jesus, Jesus seeks someone. He sees someone. And to that would-be disciple, to that potential follower, he says, follow me. Whereas, of course, just to be clear, boys and girls, in the first instance, right, the guy said, I will follow you. Now Jesus says, you follow me. The first one, the man offered it up freely. And the second one, it is a command. And there is no greater command. His commands are not burdensome. When Jesus says to you, follow me, and I want you to know that you will not get a crown unless you also embrace the cross, his commands are not burdensome. He says, follow me. But he said, verse 59, Lord, first, whoa, 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 stop right there. First. See that? Lord, let me first. There's another word, but. But he said. Some commentators talk about the fact that Luke leaves us here and there's three little episodes here. And the interesting thing is that we don't know what happened with each one of these people. And we don't know after Jesus kind of, after Jesus rebuffed them, each of them, because that is what's happening here, right? He rebuffs each one of them. Hey, I don't know if you know what you're talking. I don't know if you understand. Hey, I don't know if you've got the commitments. Many commentators say he just leaves it open. Luke does. And, and, and maybe they did end up following him. Friends, I'm convinced that what we see here is mostly, if not completely negative. Because again, he knows our hearts. And he knows that ultimately for all three of these Ultimately, at the very least, at the beginning, it is a pretend discipleship. You do not want to have a pretend discipleship, my friends. Hell is real. Heaven is real. God is real. The Christian life is real. You see here, this man has this word first. Lord, let me first. No, no, no. Lord, let me first do whatever you say. It's like a child to a parent. You know what we want to teach? Now, here's how it works, Sammy, Julie. Here's how it works. You say, Mommy, let me first obey you. I do have a question. I would like to do something else first, and, I, and I'm going to politely bring that up to you, and, 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 and I'm going to bring it up in such a way that God helping me, it's tough, that if you say no, that I will actually be willing to obey you first. Why, why doesn't he say, let me first, just let me first follow you. You are wonderful. You are compelling. You are beautiful. You are the son of man. Do you, do you see the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see him? If you truly see him, you can't but follow him. Why doesn't he say, Lord, it, this may or may not work, for you and for your itinerary. I've got this funeral. I need to bury my father. 
Nope, not going to work. Okay, let's, I'm, I'm ready to go with you. No, that's not what he says. Clearly, his priorities at the end of the day, this is not rude on Jesus' sake. This is not Jesus being rude. This is him saying to him the very best thing that he could say. And to be clear, this is Jesus having a high cost, high reward. High cost, the high cost of discipleship. Let me first go and bury my father. But, 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 but. 7.30, kids, it's time to clean up. Ah, but, 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 but. But, he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. What a reasonable request. To be sure, in another place, Jesus comes strong. Uh, In the gospel of Mark, I believe, Jesus comes strong and says, you religious hypocrites, who neglect the care of your family under the pretense of following God. Don't neglect the care of your family under the pretense of following God. Nevertheless, this stands. Nevertheless, this stands clearly. If, if Jesus calls you to give up house and home and to divest yourself of any wealth that you may have, and if Jesus calls you to give him priority to such a degree that you follow him over even a family funeral, then you have read this correctly. That is precisely what he's saying. He says, let your love for me make your love for even your family look like hatred. Do you hear me? Let your love for me, let your allegiance to me, let your bowing the knee to me as your Lord, let your submission to me, let your devotion to me, let your happy being yoked to me, let your following me as my disciple, let it look like everything else that you love in this world, let it look like hatred in comparison because you love me surpassingly. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ with a surpassing love? He does not call us to give up every other love but he may call us at one time or many times to say, which will it be? Convenience or Christ? Comfort or Christ? Tradition or Christ? It has been pointed out here in verse 60 that there is a bit of a play on words, which actually may make you see that if you thought, oh, this is not the Jesus I serve. This is harsh. Well, this may not help. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. It's been pointed out that this is leave the spiritually dead to bury their own dead. If you're a follower of Christ, if you know God, if you have seen that your only hope is that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead and that God's wrath is hanging over you, but that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross, then you are a new creature, which is to say you are actually alive. For the very first time, except for the beginning of creation before the fall of Adam, now you're alive. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're fully alive. You're alive to God. And Jesus says, listen, let the spiritually dead bury their own physically dead. You are alive. You come follow me. You preach the kingdom of God. Do you see this? Do you see the radical nature of the kingdom of God? Do you see this call that he gives here in Luke 9, 57 through 62? But as for you, end of verse 60, but as for you, yes, Lord, 
but what about her? But as for you, yes, Lord, but what about them? Yes, Lord, but what about him? Jesus says, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Some would-be disciples, listen to me, some would-be disciples do not understand the cost. They don't know what's fully involved, verses 57 and 58. And some would-be disciples do not show the commitment that Jesus calls for. Verses 59 and 60, they don't have the true, full commitment to follow Jesus. Well, so what? So what? You know, when you look at a passage like this, as I've said before, you read it correctly when you see that the cost of discipleship, the demand of discipleship is high. Uh, you only have to, uh, you only have to flip back just a little bit to verse 23, to where it says, if anyone, you see that in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Don't be double-minded, my friends. Don't have a double heart. And I appeal to you to have instead singular devotion. You know, you look at a passage like this, 57 through 62, and it, and it, and it lands on us in a heavy way, which in one way it absolutely should. And we think, we might think, what am I gonna do for God? But we remember, we remember that it is not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. Listen to me. Pay careful attention. Look at verses 51 through 56. Dave read this earlier. This is the, this is the context, right? What do they say? Text without a context is a pretext, right? 51 through 56. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his, what does it say? Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? There is another connection with Elijah. First Kings 18, Elijah calls fire to come down from heaven on the enemies of God. And they think, we're gonna be like Elijah. Here's some enemies of God. Let's call fire down on them. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them. Rebuked who? Rebuked his own disciples. And they went on to another village. What does it say at the end of verse 53? His face was set toward Jerusalem. Can I give you the sweet news of the gospel? It's in Isaiah chapter 50. You don't have to turn there. Have you ever heard the phrase, he set his face like flint? Have you ever heard that phrase? His face was set like flint. Isaiah 50, verse seven, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. 
Just a few verses earlier in that same context of Isaiah 50, he said this, I gave my back to those who strike. You need to hear the message this morning of Jesus saying, follow me. But in tandem with that, not against that, not against that in any way, these absolute, they go together. It's all grace. Jesus says, follow me. And he also says to Christians and to those of you this morning who are not followers of Christ, he says, don't mistake anything. It is not about what you do for me. It is about what I have done for you. Let me ask you a question. Have you given your back to those who strike? Have you given your cheeks to those who pull out the beard? Even if you have, you haven't done it as a sinless person. Even if you went through torture for a noble cause, you have not done it as God. Sinless, bearing the wrath of God for sinful humanity. For you, if you will repent and believe, if you will answer the call, you say, I don't know if I can answer the call. I, don't, I might be like one of those three people. In Luke chapter nine, I might prove to be, no, Jesus says he has never, ever, ever turned away anyone who has truly come to him. Let no other allegiance take precedence. Understand the cost. Understand the commitment called for. As he says here in Luke chapter nine, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go, do you see, do you see? 57 through 62 is Jesus calling people to do the very things that he has already done. He calls them, listen, following me may very well mean that you don't have a pillow, that you don't have a place to lay your head. Well, he is the one who came from heaven to earth and did not have a place to lay his head. Oh, and he said, following me means complete com commitment, singular devotion, and he is the one who had singular devotion as the gospel of Luke turns on its hinge in 951. He set his face, he set his face, Isaiah 50 verse seven, he set his face like flint. What does that mean? It means he knew why he was there. It means he knew that he was going to the cross to bear our sin because we are rebel sinners deserving God's wrath and hell. It means that he does the very things that he calls us to do. And he says, come with me, come with me on the road to Calvary. And of course, we are on this side of the end of the gospel of Luke, where he has died, where he has been raised. You notice it's interesting. What does it say in verse 51? When the days drew near for him to be taken up, the gospel of Jesus Christ includes his ascension. That's what it means. It's, it's, he's gone back up into heaven. What did he do before he went back up into heaven? He died on the cross for you and for me. He was raised from the dead. And the same Lord who said then says now. He says, follow me. We left out one thing, and that's verses 61 and 62. Thank you for your attention this morning. Verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
My business is not agriculture. I am not a farmer. But we are told, and we probably don't have to be told because it's in one way self-evident, that as the farmer plows, if he is constantly looking back over his shoulder, then his line will inevitably not be straight. But if he plows and if he is looking in the distance, which happens to remind me of Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, if he is looking with singular devotion, with unbroken gaze, not sinless, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but if by the grace of God he hears the call of God, follow me, and he sees that Jesus Christ not only says follow me, but that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, then his line will be straight. But the negative is real. He says no one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the... Listen, you're not fit for the kingdom of God if you're in love with this world. 1 John 2, do not love the world. I, I, I want to follow. Don't have a divided heart. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. A brand new book came out very recently, and I closed with this. I got the book notice for this brand new book uh, this week at, on an email. Uh, the book is entitled The God of the Mundane, Reflections on Ordinary Life for Ordinary People. And if you know me and if you know Pastor Ben, I think I can safely say, I think if you've been here for a few years, you, you might agree that, that our teaching might tend to emphasize that word ordinary more than other words. We like that word ordinary. We think in the New Testament, the New Testament has a lot to say about living a quiet and an ordinary life, not a superstar in any way. This new book came out in The God of the Mundane, and I think I would really like this book. I haven't read it. The blurb, the publisher's blurb about this book says, it's okay to not be a radical Christian. Listen, our life is not about what we do for God. It's about what he does for us. You know, that being said, not taking anything away from that at all, is that word actually not perfect for what we've seen today? Radical. It is a call for a radical commitment. And you know what the Bible says? Normally, that doesn't mean you leave your home. Normally, that doesn't mean you can't go to your father's funeral. Normally, in God's good, in the way that God has ordered the world, normally, you prioritize the Lord Jesus Christ and you do these things. The question is, if he says to us, this or this, this or me, what will we say? That reveals whether we're even a Christian or not. May God help us only through his grace. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to be radical, but also save us from inventing our own ideas of how we can be radical for you. Lord, this is, without any question, a radical call for radical commitment to count the radical cost. And so, Lord, we know that it is all, it all must be rooted in your love from eternity. Thank you that through the Holy Spirit, we can answer this call and we can be assured of our salvation. Help us to press on. Help us to look in the mirror of your word today to see ourselves truly and to see you
rightly. Oh God, help us in your grace. Amen.